Welcome to Soul Stirrings, a podcast where all things regarding faith, communication, and culture are considered. I'm your host, Paul Patton, and here's hoping for at least a couple of grins and maybe one strange amen. Hello again. Welcome to Soul Stirrings. I am Brandon Knight, Assistant Professor of Speech Communication at William Carey University, and I'm here with Paul Patton. Uh, primary host of Soul Stirrings, and uh, we're continuing our discussion on God Talk, the manipulative use of spiritual language. This is our third installment, our third episode of this um, thematic discussion in which we talk about how oftentimes in religious contexts, the discussion can go awry and uh, God can oftentimes be used as a means to an end, uh, specifically the name of God. And so, Adding on to just the discussion of what we were talking about in the last episode is the price tags of God talk, or what are some of the negative effects that often occur when we manipulate others using religious or spiritual language. The last time we were together, we talked about how oftentimes religious manipulative language often cancels out critical analysis, and so it's used in effort to uh, cause us to think less uh, to, to make a shortcut, if you will, um, uh, going for a conclusion. And so today, Paul and I are going to be talking about how uh, God talk actually at times can create absolute power trends. And so, Paul, I know when we talk about religious language and how it's uh, used, there's a whole host of things that can, can go wrong in terms of its price tags. But what are some of the things that you see going on? Well, uh, one of them is um, <clears throat> that it, 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 as we've mentioned before, ignores the third commandment. Don't misuse the name of the Lord your God. Um, and most of the cases that I've had throughout my life, it's not related to people who have claimed to have had the gift of prophecy, which is another which is another focus and which church history has wrestled with for centuries, uh, ever since the the Montanist controversy um, of the second century. Um, But what I'm finding is that it, it oftentimes will ignore the proverbial wisdom that's 3,000 years old, that says that the the wise person, the wise woman or man, gives thought to their ways. Uh, they're always asking. In fact, it should be probably a daily habit. What did I say? What did I do? Did it contribute to grace? Did it did it contribute to a lack of graciousness? Did it contribute to the garden in my life that's to be cultivated? Uh, uh, called the fruit of the spirit. Uh, for instance, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 8, written approximately 3,000 years ago. And let's remember that, as uh, uh, um, Madeline Lengel said, that, uh, that, that the truth is, is eternal. It's knowledge that changes, and to confuse the two is a disaster. But Matthew, uh, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 8 says, um, uh, the, 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 the wise person gives thought to their ways. Um, this is something that was uh, uh, half, uh, more than half millennial before 
uh, Plato and Socrates and their emphasis on the importance of self-reflection. But giving thought to your ways, oftentimes when we say, however preconsciously, however unconsciously, God told me, uh, as we've mentioned before, it, it, it obliterates uh, uh, further discussion, but it also obliterates, uh, it pulls a, a false trump card uh, that that uh, avoids the, the kind of wise self-reflection that's described in Romans 14.8. Um, uh, another is uh, right out of Proverbs chapter 20, verse 5. It says, the purposes of a man's heart, the purposes of a person's heart, are deep waters, but a, but a person of understanding draws them out. Uh, my contention is that Proverbs chapter 20, verse 5, is one of the uh, the launch pads of why one should one can study and should study and and find helpful the study of psychology and sociology. We're asking why do I have these habits? Why am I thinking like this? Why am I doing this? Uh, those are uh, uh, those are deep waters, and this is uh, Brandon. You know, a, a few millennium before uh, Freud, as I I think I'd mentioned in an earlier broadcast. Uh, podcast, but uh, they're deep waters. Uh, but a person of understanding draws them out. And again, this manipulative use of religious of spiritual language has a propensity to obliterate that necessary habit of self-reflection. It also, uh, just in relation to the fruit of the spirit, um, it almost seems like a rush. Like there's a. a and it, it correlates specifically to what you're talking about, but um, a lack of willingness to sit, meditate, and draw out the deep waters. That's a, a lack of wisdom. Uh, and it, I think it characterizes, uh, sadly, just how much the church is like uh, the culture in that we're impatient. Yes. Uh, we're not willing to wait things out. And if we want if we know the end that we want, then we will get there by any means necessary, even if it means taking away and manipulating the agency of other people. Um, it seems like, too, that interestingly, when we think of religious language, we, we often think of worship, that there should be this sense of awe and uh, you know, uh, sanctif sanctified language, if you will, not to yeah. say that we have to disconnect it from all of our, our um, other aspects of our lives, but that there should be a weight when we... Uh, to the, to the name of God that we give it, just like in the Old Testament. Um, but in fact, today, it seems instead of focusing on, you know, the actual I am, the great I am, it's more of an egotistical, you know, it, it really is all about me as opposed yeah. to uh, my neighbor or my God. And, uh, and so if I could, Paul, I know we talked about this story in the past, but uh, just an experience that I had showing how, uh, without self-reflection and without wisdom and definitely without patience, how even our best intentions can go awry. Um, and so in my in previous years, I was a, a, a staff member at a church and there was a time and a period in which this church, uh, maybe about 15 year old church was seeking consultation. They wanted to go through a time of growth uh, and maturity and asking questions as to how might they better serve their community and God and the lives of those around them. And so there was a, a consultation group that was brought in like many churches are doing today and 
and truly, uh, all the members of the church and the staff, the, the, the hope was of loving others and loving Christ in the community. And so this weekend of consultation, it was long and fruitful, but it did give ourselves uh, an opportunity to ask big questions, this, this notion of wisdom, as you're saying. Yeah. And so we were able to set goals and we carved out a vision. Uh, and it was our vision of, of what it looked like when we were operating uh, you know, under the, the guidance of the spirit and uh, in the lives of those around us and what it might look like for, for God to do a work in our community in the next months and years. And so after the consultation, the first few months, it was very exciting. We had members who had never done anything with the church, but they were now painting the halls for the, the children's yeah. ministry, those restructuring of groups, and just a lot of engagement. And this is honestly everything that you would want uh, a part uh, being part of a church family. However, and as weeks would go by and months would go by, despite this engagement, despite this growth in the members that were already there, the multitude was not showing up. Uh, wow. The numbers were not increasing, <laughs> and uh, this became a point of conflict for both the members and the staff. And so we were having to, to negotiate to make sense of, God, what are you doing? You know, if we, we, we were doing all this in hopes of growing. And so it, it worked out in two ways, and I'll, I'll just splice it in part of the members and then how the staff. But the members, you know, they had to work out how growth isn't simply quantifiable yeah. growth isn't simply quantifiable and how that god works uh not just in numbers but in maturity and so there is a qualitative and quantify uh quantitative difference and so that uh yes the numbers may come at some point but god's vision isn't always specifically for a church for the masses to come and even that is an egotistical way of thinking as opposed to yeah, thinking of sure. the kingdom on the other hand, what really changed was the staff and verbally you you heard a transition from our vision of what we believed God was going to do from the consultation, our vision, and it literally changed to explicitly God's vision. And so numbers, they were continuing to be the same, even after all this money was spent on consultation, after all this work was done. And the, our primary pastor at that time was even making allegations because this was God's vision. And if, if we're not fulfilling God's vision, then we must be doing something wrong, that we're, we have sin in our hearts or that we're just being lazy. And sadly, this change, this God talk change, this, this switch, if you will, from our vision, which is able to change, we're able to adapt um, to God's vision believing that we know exactly what God expects in this moment in terms of numbers and numerical growth, it changed the whole dynamic of the church. This church, which was a close-knit community, they're still losing people even to this day, sadly, and ultimately that pastor left. And so uh, I know we've talked about this story before, but it just shows that without that self-reflection, without wisdom, uh, that things can go bad very quickly, even with yeah. the best of intentions. Yeah, you're describing also a false dichotomy. It's either it's either all God or, or or all us, and He wants to work oftentimes in conjunction with the wisdom, the capacity for wisdom that He's given us. Um, 
you look at uh, the apostles, for instance, they rarely say in their, le- their epistles, their, their letters, God has told me. Oftentimes when they're making arguments, uh, attempting to persuade, what are they doing? They're drawing from the Hebrew text um, uh, uh, extensively. And in fact, in the process of making decisions, the complexity of decisions, certainly we're wise in employing the scriptures that we know, but not using it in manipulative ways to get people to follow, to to be allowing themselves to be controlled by us. We have to be very, very, very careful about that. Hmm. But I, 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 I love the example that you're giving. Uh, um. And, in, and just in relation to the, the power uh, and the damage that can be done, both to churches and individuals, uh, and maybe that's a conversation that we can, can continue next time. Yes. But, Paul, very enjoyable discussion. Uh, oh. We want to just say thank you for everyone listening, and we'll hope uh, that we will see you next time. Again, I'm Brandon Knight with my, my great friend Paul Patton, and uh, you're listening to Soul Stirrings. Thank you.